1: everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Food, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Carrie Tippin, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Connor Picken and Matthew Dishinger, co-editors of the brand new collection, Southern Comforts, drinking in the U.S. South from Louisiana State University Press. Connor Picken is an assistant professor of English and the faculty director of the Compassio Learning Community at Bellarmine University. His teaching and research encompass 20th and 21st century American literature Southern Literature, Modernism, and Social Change. Matthew Dishinger is a lecturer at Georgia State University. Matt works at the intersections of American studies, Southern studies, and post-colonial studies. His research explores contemporary U.S. multi-ethnic literatures, literary melancholia, and speculative aesthetics. I'm going to ask Matt about that later. Uh, Thank you so much, Connor and Matt, for agreeing to speak with me on the podcast.
0: Thank you, Kerry. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here.
1: So this is the New Books and Food podcast. And while alcohol is certainly a key interest in food studies, uh, neither of you really identify as working in that field. Instead, you both kind of describe yourself as primarily Southern studies. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. It is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So this uh, episode will definitely be cross-listed on the New Books in the American South channel. So if you're listening from that channel, thanks for joining us. Um, So I'll ask you first, Connor, how did you come to working on a book about alcohol and Southern culture? Uh, What are some of the backgrounds, the academic backgrounds that you bring to the project?
2: Well, I I, I mean, I I think it would probably um, start sort of anecdotally. I went to, I grew up in the Midwest. I attended a small liberal arts college in Kentucky um, that was in a dry county. Uh, at the time, that meant very little to me, um, but in hindsight, uh, after kind of bouncing around the South post-graduation, doing the graduate school odyssey, uh, noticing what seemed to be kind of silly or arbitrary or just kind of like inexplicable, um, like alcohol and consumption laws, uh, that that was probably embedded somewhere in my subconscious, uh, always curious about how and why that was the case. Um, but the the real, I think the the real genesis of of this whole project was, I was uh, very fortunate uh, when I was getting my master's to uh, be uh, placed in a, as a, a TA for a big like early American lit uh, gen ed course, and it was with a guy named John Crowley, who um, was a turned out to be a, a mentor uh, of mine, and and John a lot of his scholarly background was on temperance literature and. I ended up taking a Faulkner seminar with him um, that spring, and I read his book. Uh, his book is called "The White Logic: um, Alcoholism and American Modernist Fiction," something like that. And I remember reading the book, uh, being very kind of drawn into the subject matter, and thinking back on some of those curiosities that I had through from undergraduate uh, the undergraduate years and beyond. And one of the things that that John told me, he said, I never really had the uh, never really had a toehold on how I could implicate Faulkner in this kind of broader argument that I, so we were actually were reading sanctuary at the time in that class. And so uh, he's like, why don't you try to, to figure out kind of within the the scaffolding of this argument, how sanctuary might fit into it. And so that became the, the, uh, the, the, the paper and sort of the, the idea that, that I, I mean, sort of hitch my wagon to and uh, have not unhitched in, in many respects. And then when I was at LSU, um, doing my, my dissertation, um, the, the idea, I mean, you want to talk about sort of oddities in the drinking culture. I mean, just spent some time in South Louisiana. Um, so, so that very much, um, you know, kind of substantiated some of the, the curiosities that I'd had all along. And then being at a, at, at a school and a department that uh, emphasized Southern, Southern studies, Southern culture, um, I was able to kind of look at this idea of, of drinking and alcohol and alcoholism in Southern literature and culture, beyond just kind of the, the Faulkner lens, and that became that became my dissertation. Um, and then, of course, is, I'm sure folks folks can can certainly understand. I mean, conferencing these papers and and trying to get these papers published. I mean, you, you're sort of um, you know riding a, a particular hobby horse for a long time. This sort of became my my identity, my scholarly identity, more or less. And then the opportunity came uh, from some of the folks at LSU Press. To, uh, to put a collection together. I mean, so this is one of the things, Carrie, that that I've, I've found, and I think Matt would probably agree. Uh, if, you know, say, hey, what are you studying in grad school? Or what's your paper about If you say anything about, like, booze and the South, everyone has a reaction, you know? I mean, if I said, like, you know, I don't know, 19th century French poetics or something, then you'd get that sort of, you know, that thousand yard stare. But everyone had a reaction to this. Um, so I knew that it was uh, it was a subject matter that at least kind of uh, inspired curiosity in, in people, and, and sure enough, there was interest from the press, and uh, and here we are, four short years later after the uh, the the wheels started turning for the for the edited collection.
1: Yeah. So Matt, how did you come to the project? What are sort of the academic backgrounds that shape your contributions?
0: Yeah. So I mean, my my story is 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 very different from Connor's, um, except that we both um came through LSU for for our uh doctoral work. Um but I, you know, I I I worked in I work in Southern studies. I I wrote a dissertation on um uh melancholia in contemporary Southern lit. Um and uh really what I was doing in the project was trying to think about um what uh aesthetics kind of uh are are used to constitute Southern literature. So like what does it mean that so many books um, about the South or from the South are focused around loss. Um, so my dissertation was about that question. And I looked at contemporary literature that, uh, that seemed to, to refute the stakes of the question. Um, and, and I guess that's the, the connection between that project and, and the, the edited collection Southern Comforts um, for me anyway, um, is that, you know, I, I tend to, in, in a lot of my work kind of uh, look at literature um, more telescopically than, than, than microscopically. So sort of like from, from above and try to figure out like what various movements mean. So I was really interested in, you know, how drinking connects to um, a, maybe a more robust discussion in food studies um, in the South uh, and, and how, it, how it kind of helps us understand, um, you know, Southern literature and culture better. Um, you know, it wasn't. Uh, in other words, so my my part in the project, you know, wasn't to to kind of think back on my on my dissertation in any particular way about drinking because it wasn't about that. Um, it was to, to to think about what what constitutes the field, um, how drinking is a kind of consumption that uh, that connects to food, but is also sort of different from consumption in, in food. Um, and, uh, and, and how it sort of responds back to some of the, the trends in Southern studies that I'm, I'm interested in and wrestle with in most of my work.
1: Yeah. So maybe, um, you can both give a little bit of an answer to this, but what are sort of the fields or backgrounds that the con the contributors kind of represent? Are they mostly from literary studies, Southern studies, um, or f- maybe food and food waste studies?
2: I would say mostly from from literary studies and southern studies. Carrie, I mean, kind of looking down the the roster, there were there's a couple of folks who, a lot of folks who were kind of on on our radar as we started to to strategize how we would would get certain um, certain kinds of essays, certain um, scholarly lenses to, to bring to bear on the project. Um, there's there's one uh, one person in particular, uh, kind of outside of our field, um, a scholar named Susan. Z. Which is out at UC Riverside. Um, her, uh, her, her, I mean, she's one of the, the, the big hitters in what has kind of been broadly defined as alcohol and addiction studies. I don't know that she would necessarily wear that hat, but her, she wrote a book that came out, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, that was kind of a, a, a field defining work that sort of took the work of Crowley, who I mentioned earlier, and some others and, and advanced it like five generations. Um, so, so she is one who I bet, you know, folks who, who are, you know, into the, the Southern study scene and who read the, um, the Southern literary study stuff from LSU press that I'd be willing to, to bet people don't necessarily will not be totally familiar with her work, but i think for the most part, Matt, correct me if if I'm wrong, that uh, a lot of the folks are kind of Southernists first and foremost, um, who have, um, you know, have, have varied takes on how. Alcohol can kind of inform their their scholarly apparatus.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, and, and I'm just looking down the list as well. And I, I think um, there there certainly are some folks who who work um, some or or even mostly on, on the subject of, of food. Um, you know, David Davis uh is is obviously a Southernist, no question about it, um, but he's edited a collection on food. Um, Hannah Griggs a, a graduate student at, at Emory is um, has focused a lot of her work on on drinking cultures and and food ways um, and and you know uh, Connor Connor mentioned Susan Seeger who's sort of a Victorianist and a, a um, someone who works in in addiction studies so there's uh, I, I, definitely the trend in the book is is more um, uh, more towards Southern literary studies. Although that to me, and that's the name of the series that we're in at LSU, obviously, um, that to me is, can kind of be an, an outmoded term in some ways. Like this is a Southern cultural studies book. Um, and, uh, uh, even if most of the folks in the book at least, you know, started in literature, um, and even use literature, uh, it's definitely a cultural studies project. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's, uh, those are the, the, the trends that the contributors fit into.
2: And I would say just to piggyback off, off what Matt just said, Carrie, I mean, one of the interesting things kind of from the, the bird's eye view about how all the essays sort of speak to one another is that because most of the contributors are in Southern studies, um, they don't necessarily have the, have the fluency in some of the alcohol and, and addiction stuff. But as I was trying to say earlier, um, in terms of how I came to the idea of this project, um, anyone who's in Southern studies or, or Southern literary studies, I mean, you're a stone's throw away from like a, a book or a text about, about drinking or about alcohol. So uh, I remember early on in our correspondence with some folks, you know, one of the, the, um, what Matt and I would say was like, Hey, Monica Miller, for example, or Hey, Katie Burnett, uh, we know that you're, you know, not necessarily alcohol uh, is not necessarily in your, in your wheelhouse, but you're a southernist. So clearly you thought about this and, in some form or fashion, even if you're not writing about it, or even if you're not, um, you know, if that's not foregrounded in your scholarly discourse. And I I think that the fact that there is such close proximity, um, even if it's it's not necessarily true 100% of the time, but at least kind of popular conceptions of that proximity between Southern culture, Southern literary studies, and alcohol, that it really kind of, the, the project as a whole kind of flowered. And we see people um just latching on to alcohol and addiction and drinking uh, in a, a just a whole host of ways uh, which I think is a, a really interesting kind of breadth in terms of how how folks who you know would be more or less branded southernists um are are talking about booze uh, which is I think what, what what a collection ideally would would do anyway
1: yeah, so I tend to review a lot of single food histories um, on this podcast. That seems to be like the most active genre in academic kind of food books at the moment um, or books that try to tell the history of a place through like a single food item. But that's not exactly what this book is, even though I think some people could look at the cover and maybe think that. So there are definitely some essays that are cultural histories. There's some that are very clearly literary analyses with the historical bent uh, so how would you describe it? Maybe, Matt, I'll start with you. Um, it's an edited collection, an analysis of narrative representations of drinking in the South. How else would you kind of describe it to people who haven't read it yet?
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's a pretty good description, um, the one that you just offered. Um, I, 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 if we look at the way that the, the collection breaks down in terms of its organization, so we have three parts. The first is alcoholism, temperance, and the South. Um, the second is revising narrative through intoxication and the third is alcohol's production commodification and circulation in the south um, and i think those are um, within each one of those sort of thematic sections we have the uh the kind of breakdowns that you just offered um folks doing you know literary analysis and 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 history um you know folks like uh, i mentioned hannah Griggs in her essays in the in the third section and it's a sort of cultural history of this cocktail in New Orleans called the O'Hen cocktail, um, and uh, and but that collection also has you know um, work. Uh, Jenna Schuto uh, wrote, wrote an essay on, on Faulkner's representations of bootlegging, for example. So that's more literary analysis and history. Um, but thematically, uh, uh, I guess to go back to to, to what I started off saying, um, thematically. Uh, i think the collection breaks down in terms of uh the the some big ways that we think about drinking in the south right um so one is through um you know in part one alcoholism on one end and sort of complete you know um uh, teetotaling uh you know abstinent uh you know uh, that that stance toward temperance, <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for, um, temperance in the South. Uh, so like the sort of extremes that that we see. Um, and part two is, is really about how intoxication as a theme um, both gets narrativized and kind of changes the way that we think about narrative. Um, and Monica Miller and Zach Vernon, for example, are really interested in um, the sort of narrative tendencies of, of writing and thinking about drinking and what those mean for um, in the one on the one hand for for Zach, um, uh, you know cinema and and, and Monica's interested in, in Flannery O'Connor and, and the way that her narratives kind of um, uh, use drinking as a kind of uh, theme to kind of bounce up against. Um, and then finally in the last section, um, production, Commodification, circulation. I mean, those are those essays are definitely geared more towards um, the kind of material reality of alcohol um, and, and and how it's moved around, how that gets represented in literature, but also um, how it exists in print culture. Um, and Ginny uh, and, and, and Lightwise Goff, I'm just thinking about her essay at the very end of the book, you know, how drinking becomes a kind of way for people to talk and think about the South. Um, and, and, her, and she's focused on, uh, kind of disaster capitalism after, um, after Katrina, um, uh, through the rhetoric of, of, George W. Bush, but she, she goes a lot of different places with that essay. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the way that you set it up is, is great and it's, it's what we do. Um, but to do that, we sort of organize three parts of the book around sort of three different ways that, that people think and talk about drinking.
1: Yeah. Connor, anything you want to add to that?
2: No, I mean, I I think Matt hit the nail on the head. I mean, the 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 part one, the alcoholism and temperance. I mean, what's interesting about about how that we ended up framing that section, Carrie, is it it necessarily um, speaks to or kind of defines drinking in the South through binaries, which are things that I mean, binaries are not necessarily. I mean, that's not necessarily an intellectual, intellectually responsible way to think about it. Nevertheless, if you're talking about drinking in the South. Uh, a knee-jerk reaction is like you know the um, the, the the wild boys are the hell of a fella versus kind of the the teetotaling, teetotaling fundamentalist. But I think embedded within those binaries is a very unique and interesting um, kind of uh, cultural and political history and discourse that um, has long informed Southern culture. So it's not just about you know temperance or, or prohibition, for example, but the um, that kind of cultural artifacts that inform why um those binaries exist um why why one would would think of the alcohol as a place or i'm sorry the south as a place that is both um sort of soaked uh, a landscape soaked in alcohol and also um, a landscape that's that's so brittle and dry um that that you know no one would would dare would dare drink here Um, and then i think the the narrative through intoxication i mean one of the the really interesting three lines on those essays is just the way that, I mean, so how do we make sense of of narratives where uh, characters are imbibing uh, heavily? Uh, What is it like in a more kind of modernist sense where, you know, subjectivity is privileged throughout the narrative and uh, this person is clearly under the influence of alcohol? Uh, And then part three, again, the risk of redundancy here. One of the, I mean, alcohol is kind of a a material artifact. It gets a thing, right? It's produced, it's bought, it's sold, it's, it's exchanged. It's labeled in a particular way, and because the South, um, say the South, I mean the rest is kind of a problematic geospatial dem- uh, demarcation. But nevertheless, I mean what we traditionally think of as the as the Southeast, um, it, it kind of looks like a, a like a patchwork or a quilt of of like wet and dry. Um, this happens here, Appalachians over there. I mean the the whole the the bird's eye view of the South in terms of how alcohol crosses borders, what the implications are of that, um, and then, of course, the, the last three essays that deal specifically with, um, with material artifact of booze in New Orleans, which, has, as I mentioned earlier, kind of has a whole other host of, of connotations to it. Um, these are, honestly, carry three of probably many ways to think about um, how you can categorize or understand drinking and alcohol in the South. Um, but, but we found for the purposes of framing the, the book in a particular way, that these essays more or less kind of kind of leaned in a particular direction. Um, and for the time being anyway, this, this seems a, a way to, to, to cover the ground necessary.
1: Well, that leads me to kind of my next question about uh, uh, the idea of a monolithic Southern identity uh, seems to be something that you're definitely questioning in this work and, and most Southern studies does. Um, one of the things about the rhetoric of food and drink that always uh, kind of bothers me, you have the same complaint is that drinking culture, as you write in the book, whitewashes histories of inequality while trumpeting the community affirming possibilities of a mixed drink. Um, And you really got me on this series of questions too. Uh, Consumption of food and drink might reenact community, but what kind of community is it? And from where did that community arise? And who might be excluded from that community? Um, So talk a little bit more about how this uh, focus on alcohol helps you kind of uh, question or trouble the idea of Southern identity or belonging? Uh, Matt, let's start with you.
0: Sure. Yeah, those were definitely key questions for us right from the outset. And just to um, uh, kind of agree with you uh, in, in, a, in a slightly different way, um, I think part of our, uh, our interest at the outset in the project was to take something that is, uh, you know, take drinking, which is very like ubiquitous and kind of overdetermined in the South, especially through its most visible forms, um, some of which we already mentioned, but also through, you know, hard-drinking authors and, um, you know, these kind of like uh, mythic versions of, of uh, well, white masculinity in particular, but I, I think um, that's one example of a, of a kind of a cliche about Southern literature in particular and, and the South more generally. Um, and we wanted to, you know, sort of completely um, I guess not completely ignore those concepts but um but to take them and take them apart um through work that that was much more specific and historical and and interested in the kinds of community that drinking um moves through and reveals um, so uh to go back to your to your to your question or the questions that we raise in the intro um I think what's interesting about drinking, and, and we say this there, but I think what's interesting about drinking is that it it does seem to maybe be more suited or or better suited um, to, uh, to to help us um, uh, think about the act of consumption critically. Um, and I, I think the, or at least, it, and I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about this too, Carrie. Um, but it, it seems like with food, um, you know, one of the at least one of the ways that I've thought about, um, food as a kind of consumption that can often be kind of flattened or sometimes be flattened in food studies as this sort of benign benevolent thing. I mean, maybe part of the reason that happens is because, you know, food e- you know, eating is itself reparative, right? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if you sit around a table and eat with people, then it feels like something profound is happening and maybe even it is, you know? Um, but uh, there's also something that's being covered up, right? You know, um, you know, to, to, to someone who works in uh, on class, uh, you might call that like the means of production of that food. Um, but that, of course, also resonates with racial histories and and, and gendered histories um, anywhere, but especially in the South. Um, and drinking is, uh, well, it's certainly more complicated than eating in, in some other ways. But it doesn't have the same sort of reparative function, you know, I mean, there's something kind of like um, in a, I guess, in a kind of literal way, bad about drinking, right. You know, uh, if you, if you drink too much, and I suppose this is true if you eat too much, but if you, if you drink too much, um, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking less clearly um, it's bad for your body. There's no sustenance that, that, that happens through drinking. Um, So it would seem maybe in that way to offer, um, the opportunity to, to kind of speak back to um, a trend in food studies to see eating as this kind of uh, positive thing, right? A kind of consumption that for people who work in, in cultural studies departments and think a lot about consumption in terms of like watching television or movies or reading books um, or consuming print culture, right? Like those are all kinds of consumption that I think from the outset we, we are suspicious of, right? Right. Um, but it seems like in, in, uh, you know, more literal forms of consumption, like, like eating and, and even drinking, um, we tend to think, uh, a bit less critically about what they mean and, um, and, and a bit more sort of optimistically about their potential to, to just sort of be good. Um, so again, part of what we're trying to do, and I, and, uh, you know, I think so many of the essays do this, um, in, in a variety of ways is to look at, um, how complicated and charged the act of drinking has been and how meaningful it has been. Um, and I can think of lots of examples, but I I, I, I want to hear what Connor says about this too.
1: Okay, Connor, let's hear your answer.
2: Well, I, I think that, I mean, I, yeah, I agree with everything uh, Matt said. I, I, one of the, I mean, you mentioned the idea of kind of understanding or, or characterizing the South as it relates to drinking monolithically. I mean, even if we, which of course is, is irresponsible and and not, not right. uh, Not true, I should say, but through, through the lens of alcohol and drinking, I mean, even if we do look at monolithic representations or understandings of the South. So for example, the, we talk about this a little bit in the introduction, but this sort of like, like uh, what I'm looking for, like this, this the celebrate, there's like the celebratory gesture of, of kind of elevating, the, the stature of, of Southern writers and Southern writing and Southern culture based on how much basically old white men like Faulkner would drink, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of become uh, circumscribed around this like mythology of, of, of gentlemen who could hold their alcohol. So I, I would call that sort of a knee-jerk, monolithic, um, kind of one-dimensional view of, of the correlation between alcohol and drinking in the South. But so even if we don't want to get more complicated than that, if you just look at what is not being explained, So if we would just flip that coin over and looked at the other side, someone like Faulkner, um, w- what we don't necessarily talk about would be, well, like what were the consequences of, of this particular kind of lifestyle? Um, how did this uh, affect um, his family? How did this affect him, him as a person? How, how might we see um, this resonate in different places in the writing and at the risk of, Kind of slipping down this hole of like the author function but but i mean in the bladder biography about faulkner there's there's all kinds of references to um how problematic his drinking was yet that was never really excavated beyond just the level of observation um, and so if we were to uh look at how um that that sort of other flip side of a particular coin can be uh, a means to understand a different kind of community faulkner's wife dried out She was a a problem drinker. One might even say an alcoholic. And you know how she got sober, Carrie? She went to AA. And she was a woman in North Mississippi in the middle part of the 20th century in a a boys club, which is what AA in the South was at the time. Um, And we don't even necessarily think about that. So we haven't even necessarily, you know, gone down the the, the different rabbit holes that the the essay explores. But my, my point in this kind of elongated anecdote here is just to say that even if we do focus just on sort of the knee-jerk understandings and representations of alcohol in the South. If you just look at it from a slightly different angle, there is so much that has not necessarily been talked about that I think is uh, beneficial for the field and beneficial to to challenge those monolithic understandings. So that that would be kind of one response to to what the questions you posed and to Matt's response. The other thing I, I would say is, well, Matt and I talked about, you know, whose community is it and, and who does that community exclude um, at the risk of, of kind of beating a dead horse here. There's the uh, alcohol popular understandings of alcohol and drinking now, like in 2020, they look a particular way um, you see in different kind of uh, print magazines. You see them in different online forums. You know, it's, um, you know, this really kind of like hyper kind of kind of bourgeois, like. Uh, uh, affected like inflated cultural sensibility of like a Southern cocktail or a Southern drink. And that's awesome. Like it's, it's interesting to think about. It's uh, it, it shows how these kind of micro economy. I mean, I live in Louisville, Kentucky where like the bourbon, you know, bourbon tourism is a thing. I mean, we, I went to maker's mark this past summer, Carrie to do a tour. And I, my family was probably the only ones like in our group who spoke English. I mean, people from all over the world coming to check this stuff out, but cashing in on that, um, necessarily brands um, brands it in a particular way that doesn't necessarily uh, link responsibly to um, ways that the industry itself got off the ground, you know, hundreds of years ago, right? And who, who was responsible for, um, for the labor to produce the booze way back in the day. Um, you're also talking about a region with a very complicated, one might say hypocritical kind of cultural and political history as it relates to the legality of alcohol. And that legality oftentimes looked looked the other way, depending on what you looked like. You know, uh, if you had white skin or light skin, or you had dark skin, um, and so this alcohol and, and drinking for us, I think, throughout the course of putting this collection together and researching how we wanted to approach the introduction, uh, in many ways, it, it does what a lot of um, like sort of um, singular approaches to uh, looking at Southern culture and literature revealed, which is there's a lot of of interesting kind of side history with this, but it also is another means by which we can, we can think critically about um, histories of inequality in the region. Um, And even it, even though we are, you know, we can all get on board with like this really cool artisan cocktail with this like really cool branding and and this interesting brand that's, that's uh, put in an ice cube uh, to, to, to show that this distillery does things a certain way, like that's fun. But it's also, it it kind of like willfully ignores other systemic histories of inequality that I think we can read through the lens of alcohol and drinking.
1: Yeah, speaking of that, I think what you're alluding to is that story in the introduction about Jack Daniels. Um, Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about that. How does that represent the kind of mythologizing um, and inequality that the collection is trying to
2: undermine? Uh, well, I, I mean, you know, and this is not I mean, this is not picking on, on Jack Daniels by any means. But I mean, if you think if you think sort of Southern what well, you think, alcohol, whiskey, Tennessee, Jack Daniels is I mean, that's the that, that's the, the big dog. Right. Um, and only recently has it been sort of rediscovered that the first master distiller at um, Jack Daniels was a, a former enslaved man named Nearest Green. And there were a couple of New York Times articles. I don't know, five or six years ago, that sort of um, brought back to life this notion that, like, the, the Jack Daniels brand had. Um, there was a, a, a long history of, of either like purposefully ignoring that or just not not bringing it to light. But Jack Daniels, as a person, has this interesting kind of mythology and history behind him, and of course, the brand, the way that the, the brand is marketed, does that as well. But you know, who actually got. Got him started, uh, a former enslaved man, and we should be talking about that too. Um, and I think to their credit, uh, Jack Daniels has uh, has embraced this history, and we talk about that a little bit in the introduction. But just the fact that it was not necessarily a part of the history for so long, Carrie, that that blind spot is is important. For I think for, for folks to shine a little bit of light on and and understanding um, what that means, uh, what the implications are, and I think it should also bring um, bring to, to the forefront to anyone who's intellectually curious, what other nearest green stories are there out there, you know, as it pertains to like these giant, um, you know, transnational brands that, that, that ship and, and distill all over the world. And I'm speculating that like Jim Beam, for example, would have that, but nevertheless, um, the, the Jack Daniel example with, with nearest green, I think sort of, uh, embodies the kind of, Kind of critical work that we hope that the that the collection would do, which is to say, here. So here's a particular history and mythology of an iconic southern drink or or, or a, a booze that is distilled in the south. But like two or three layers behind the history that you see when you pull up the Jack Daniels website is something very important that has linkages to chattel slavery, um, economic exploitation, racism. So
1: yeah Matt, are there any other sort of myths that you think the collection is doing a good job at debunking?
0: yeah um I think so i i I mean I can think of um several essays in the collection that sort of bounce off um, bounce off maybe familiar or mythical histories um and uh i I mean I'm thinking about. I, I believe it's the first essay in the collection by Allie Arendt um, about um, uh, black blues women and, and, and drinking. Um, and I, I, I suppose, uh, you know, in, in Allie's essay, um, you know, she's interested in how, um, how drinking is, is, and, and I think this cannot be disentangled from the mythology of the hard drinking man in the South, um, but that drinking is this kind of since it's coded as masculine, it's a kind of consumption that that isn't open to women, um, or that or that when when it's performed by women, it signifies you know a range of other um, you know like sexualized kinds of consumption. Um, and uh, and Ali does this really excellent job, um, kind of teasing out how uh, Black blues women kind of play with this notion of. Um, of like over-sexualized consumption and, you know, through their music and, um, and, and, and try to use, in other words, use a sort of mythical and um, uh, I guess more like mythologized is probably the better word there, but use a sort of mythologized um, foundation to, to kind of speak back to it and, and, um, and, and consider the, the politics of that myth. Um, and if we turn from Ali's essay to, to the final essay in the collection, which I've already mentioned, um, by Jenny lightwise Goff on, on um, a kind of feminized version of New Orleans as a place where men come to get drunk. Um, you know, she's bouncing off of uh, 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 George W. Bush's remarks after Katrina um, and, and his sort of like posturing about uh, how, how New Orleans was a place that, um, you know, he, he, he sort of suggestively makes a remark that New Orleans was a place where he had fun um and and so so kind of casting New Orleans as this like feminized space for men to to drink too much um and to do a host of other things, right? Uh, I, I think we can see um through just the first and the last essay the way that this this kind of like mythology works across time. Um and uh you know and isn't necessarily really going anywhere. Um and I, and I, I could probably say more. Um, uh, about how other essays in the collection do this too, but I, I mean, I think that is that's a big one for us too. I mean the, the drinking and gender in the south and and all the sort of um, the the way that questions about drinking, gender and race get sort of mangled together and and uh, and, and kind of work to support one another. how uh, and, and I guess that's that's what I mean. Um, and I think that's what the book does really interestingly is uh, it tries to disentangle, and specify and historicize, um, really tangled up myths, uh, that, you know, that, that kind of, uh, connect in, in interesting ways.
1: Well, you've both mentioned lots of pieces from the book, uh, but Connor, are there any must reads? Would you maybe point out a few that you really liked or that you think make a really important contributions to the conversation?
2: Sure. Uh, and this, I mean, this would be like saying you're, you know, picking your, your favorite child. Um, I mean, and, and I, I mean that with the utmost degree of sincerity. I mean, we spend so much time with these carried that, uh, you know, we feel some, some kind of, uh, some, some ownership and kinship to all of them. I mean, just off the top, I mean, I'll just kind of give you one from each section. Um, I mentioned Susan Seegers earlier. I mean, she's a, she's a powerhouse, but, uh, Cara Kohler's, um, it's a, an essay called, it's either the candy or the hooch and it's about Orson Welles's, uh, film touch of evil that takes place on the U S Mexico border. Um, it's just an interesting kind of cinematic uh, understanding of of the border and how the border represents different sort of uh, different kind of locus of power relative to which side of the border you're on, and that the protagonist is a, um, is drunk pretty much throughout the entire film. The um, in the, the the second section, uh, the I think that the Caleb Doan and Jerry Kennedy's essay on Poe is really good. Um, I mean, because we we wanted engagement with with the canon. Um, those are the really, really kind of smart and insightful reads of a breadth of, of Poe's work um, that you know, Poe is someone who is, is characterized fairly or not as kind of a kind of a fall down alcoholic and the unreliability of the of the narrators that are is oftentimes fairly or not kind of projected onto him oftentimes has to do with with intoxication or, or some sort of altered uh, altered state of mind. Uh, and then, I mean, at the risk of. of, of Again, being redundant here, um, Jenny lightwise Goff's uh, W's good time that, that Matt has mentioned a couple of times. It's just a it's a devastating coda to the collection. Um, she's a beautiful writer; writes in this kind of lyrical style. Um, yeah, I, that's good. And then the other one, I, w- I would say, uh, Chris Riegers in the last section too. He talks about he brings Ernest Hemingway into a conversation about about Southern writers, which which we don't necessarily always think of him uh, in in that you know, in, in that way. Uh, but he does an, an interesting kind of contrast or juxtaposition between, uh, bootlegging in, in Florida between Marjorie Kennan Rawlings and Ernest Hemingway. And that, that was very insightful as well. And again, and I'm not just saying this, Carrie, I mean, this is, you put me on the spot. Those are a couple that, that jumped, that jumped out, but there are, are, there's other ones
1: too. Yeah. Matt, would you add anything else to that list?
0: Yeah. I, I, I just said, first of all, I, I would put everything on that list. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of these essays have come up in in, in small ways. Um, I, I really think, and I'll start from the from section three um, where you just ended up, uh, Connor. I, I really think Hannah Griggs's essay on the O'Hen cocktail is is kind of a must read, particularly for folks in food studies, um, because I think it's it's one of the essays that is most um, I guess, structurally and formally familiar um, since that's the framework that Hannah works in a lot, I think. Um, and uh, you know, it's, it's a great cultural history, but I think it's, it's a, it's also a really um, important cultural history of, of taking this sort of um, weird object uh, you know, uh, and and I'll just say briefly that the Ohin cocktail is based on a kind of um, liqueur that's sort of like absinthe um, that, that was really popular Um in the Jim Crow South, but, uh, but, you know, for a long time didn't exist. I think the Sazerac company has recently brought it back. Um, but in, in this kind of, which is itself kind of important, I think after you read Hannah's essay, um, because the Owen cocktail, um, you know, was kind of consumed in important and exclusionary ways. Um, and, and I think, you know, her essay helps us think about, you know, how, how something like, you know, bringing back an old, um, an old object in this kind of nostalgic way, um, you know, can be both attractive and also, um, you know, uh, cover up, cover up over a history that is, that is really interesting and complicated. Um, so Hannah's essay, um, which is called Jim Crow, Mardi Gras and the Ohan cocktail is, is definitely a must read. Um, you know, and, and I, I, would add a, uh, you know, a few others that are, you know, also like, you know, among many great essays, um, I think Katie Burnett's essay in, in part two, Revising Narrative Through Intoxication, um, you know, she's really, you know, Katie is a, a, a 19th centuryist and um, or, or sort of an early Americanist, I should say. Um, and she, you know, reads back into early Virginia literature about, um, you know, how drinking becomes a way for, for um, people to think and talk about the, the sort of economic operation of the plantation um, and uh, you know in in many ways her her piece kind of doesn't fit uh, with a lot of the other essays in the collection in that it's um, or, or rather it just it sort of shows uh, you know a, a version of drinking that that doesn't at least immediately and, and obviously square with some of the myths that we've been talking about um, but it's a fascinating essay and and I think she she explores like a a register for thinking and talking about drinking and and temperance um, over consumption um, that, uh, you know, that, that is a really essential contribution to the book. Um, And uh, in the first section, I I feel like we've talked about almost every essay here uh, um, in some capacity, but so I'll just, I'll drop in one more um, Matthew Sutton's book, or excuse me, essay, um, the Tennessee two-step uh, narrating recovery and country music autobiography, um, it's it's a it's a really attentive and, and excellent essay on um, on how country music uh, male stars are are mythologized through their own sort of explanations of how they drank and how they quit. Um, you know, both as like sort of important uh, important steps in a kind of mythology. Um, uh, I mean, I think he—he's that's his area. I mean, he's he's kind of a music historian, Um, and uh, it's it's uh, he kind of coins a new term, the Tennessee two-step, off of uh, and this is uh, I may be getting some of the some of the details wrong from this, um, but uh, but what's called two-stepping or you know skipping from kind of admitting you have a problem to to the end of the twelve-step process um, in AA. Um, so he kind of examines how country music autobiography does this and, and kind of mythologizes this move um, as a part of, you know, the hard drinking male um, southerner who, you know, who who's in the country music industry. Um, so, uh, you know, those three essays are, 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 are really, really fantastic.
1: So inevitably, any collection is going to have gaps also. So what might not be included that readers would expect to find? Or are there other viewpoints on drinking in the U.S. South that maybe haven't been represented?
2: Oh, yeah. Maybe
1: Connor first.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I I think I mean, this is the reminds me of what my uh, my dissertation director said, which is, you know, get ready for every every paper you deliver and every defense of your work. The initial question is, so why didn't you include X, Y and Z? I, that's a perfectly legitimate, uh, legitimate uh, point to make here. I mean, the, we we the the number of um, of texts from uh, from people of color is admittedly uh, smaller than than we we wish it to be. I mean, this still I, I think we're uh, the the collection very much exists in the pocket in terms of um, you know just a, a brief uh, perusal of the table of contents and your you know I, I would argue that most folks with with any kind of background in, in Southern literary studies or culture would, would know all most, if not all of the, the, the texts or writers. So I think that there, I mean, it, it's like, I was kind of speaking to you earlier, Carrie, it's that the, the blind spots that, that we don't even know are there because they're, they're blind spots. I mean, so there, there could be a, I could imagine a, a, a second collection where, where the, you know, any of us would open the table of contents and, and say, well, I've heard of one or two of these and, and that's it. So uh, I think that this would, this would just be you know kind of an entry point into hopefully a much more, you know, kind of sprawling uh, excavation of, of Southern literary and cultural histories that, that we don't even necessarily know are there yet. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's kind of my, my knee jerk to the two
1: Matt, questions. what do you think? Any other gaps or?
0: Yeah. I mean, just to, I mean, I, I would echo what Connor said and, and add to it, um, uh, i mean i I think there's you know our introduction starts to um, starts to kind of consider how uh contemporary um, contemporary economies of like craft and boutique drinking uh are you know are really meaningful um although most of the work in the collection is is not really about that you know i mean i I think it's something that we we address early on and and start to consider but um, I, I, you know, I, I uh, would have loved to included, you know, someone writing about the sort of contemporary fascination with craft breweries. Um, and, uh, you know, and even, you know, I live in Atlanta, and um, it feels like there's a, you know, a, I was going to say a brewery in every neighborhood, but it's like two or three. Um, and, uh, and beyond that, uh, uh, you know, there's, uh, in most places, I mean, Louisville is, is, is a different kind of place, but um, you know, kind of craft liquor is, is a growing industry, um, all over the place, certainly not just the South, but in the South. Um, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm really, uh, Connor mentioned this early on, uh, I think in our conversation that we're, um, you know, in the introduction, we sort of think about what, uh, representations of drinking look like and might mean today. Um, and, uh, and, and I would love to see someone write, uh, you know, a, a kind of critical and attentive uh piece about um, about how kind of like uh popular and uh um, I was gonna say boutiquey, but but really um you know I, I I'm I'm talking about like uh you know a kind of a bespoke drinking culture that is growing um and has been growing for some time. Um, it particularly, you know, this is something I've thought about a lot and think about all the time in Atlanta. Um, like I said, just because it's, it's such a, it's such an obvious trend here. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's uh, just to supplement. I think Connor's um, excellent point about, um, you know, the blind spots in terms of texts that the, that the, that the book uh, includes, you know, uh, also, um, you know, uh, skewing even, I mean, I'm a contemporary lit person, so, so I tend to always skew, towards the contemporary. Um, and, and that's one way that, that I would, or that's one kind of, of essay that I would really be, um, enthusiastic to read.
1: Well, I'm on it. Okay. I'll let you know. Yeah. Please. <laughs> uh, and I'll <laughs> ask you both maybe as like the last couple of questions. What do you think is maybe the future of Southern food and drink studies? Uh, what are maybe some of the next areas that Southern studies or, or Southern food scholars can and should direct their attention to, uh, Connor, why don't you go first?
2: I mean, th- this may be a little a repetitive, carry, but I, I think it's it's um, it's being uh, attentive and intentional about uh, finding marginalized voices that 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 we don't necessarily know about right now. I, I don't I don't know how to I don't have the the prescription for necess- the, the directions for for how to go about, um, you know, locating these voices, for example. But I, I think that it's I mean, just to kind of keep it. it on the, the, the topic of the book, I mean, if we're, we're talking about, uh, I mean, I read, read, read an article after, um, after Matt and I were done with the introduction that talked about this sort of unspoken history of, of black bootleggers in Appalachia. Um, so for example, a, a, another way that um, kind of broader understandings of food, I'm sorry, of, of alcohol and consumption in the South. Uh, we never think about it in this, in this other, this other way. So um, it's, it's being intentional and and focused about uh, figuring out ways to, to, to excavate, to excavate those voices. And I think just, just having different voices in the, in the conversation is going to, would show how, how um, a conversation about alcohol and drinking, for example, um, could, could really expand in, in cool and unexpected and necessary ways.
1: Yeah. Matt, what do you think about sort of future directions?
0: Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, And I don't, you know i i mean i think it's you know it's always a little bit um i'm always a little bit tenuous in in trying to to uh understand the future you know before it arrives <laughs> um but um i mean i'll i'll just tell a quick story that that kind of supplements connor's point or that fits in um because i think i i mean i guess it, my my big comment is that uh is that i think the future of, of you know, food studies and 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 drinking studies, to the extent that it it continues to grow, um, is going to be similar to the future of you know literary and cultural studies writ large. You know, not necessarily. Separ- I mean, all the things that Connor was just mentioning, I think are um, are the future of of uh, basically every um, cultural studies field. Um, but th- this last summer, I was a participant in an NEH uh, summer institute on jewish history in the south and um, it was an excellent uh, couple of weeks in charleston um you know learning from mostly historians um and as a literary scholar you know it, it might seem obvious that that we would collaborate with historians but it doesn't happen as much as as you might think or at least it doesn't happen with me as much as as i would think and hope um and we ended the uh we ended the the, the couple of weeks we were there um with a a, a kind of like um, Southern Jewish fusion meal. And, uh, uh, and it was, uh, it was delicious and it was interesting and it was, um, you know, historicized. Um, and, uh, you know, I also left thinking like that was an example of, um, you know, maybe, I mean, in some ways kind of like a best case scenario for, for consumption as a, as a kind of reparative and, um, uh, and, and I guess critical act because we were very attentive to the, the, I mean, almost any register that you could think about food, you know, where, it where the, where the food came from, how it was harvested, um, the history of, of specific items and ingredients that went into each dish. Um, and the same was true for our drinks. Um, so it was, I mean, it was a really, uh, kind of intense experience to be honest. Um, and, uh, but, but also a really interesting one and a history that I think, you know, in Southern studies, um, well, you know, I'll just speak for myself. It was, it was largely pretty new to me. So, um, and, and really educational in that way. Um, so I, I, I think that the future of, um, drinking and, and food studies, um, is, uh, is, is, going to be expansive you know it just has to continue to expand um and and while also being i think attentive and um and intentional about what that expansion means um, and and just to circle back really briefly because uh, one of the blind spots of the book um, and is also perhaps in some ways a blind spot for for the field or, or a, a spot that is is maybe increasingly less blind um, is a kind of a post-national version of the South. You know, I mean, our book is called Drinking in the U.S. South. You know, we're, we're very um, clear about, you know, what our book is going to attempt to do. Um, but if we, you know, if we changed it to Drinking in the Hemispheric South, um, we would have a whole host of other, um, you know, uh, uh, cultural artifacts to examine and consider. Um, and, uh, you know, so as, as the, as the field continues to change, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think um, constantly redefining what we think the South is and why the South is even a helpful um, or useful unit of measure, um, a good scale to work at, uh, you know, maybe sometimes it is and other times it isn't. Uh, I mean, I think that's, that's an important question that, that we should be thinking about, like I said, across literary and cultural studies and, and food ways as part of that.
1: Well said. Uh, so what are you working on now, Connor?
2: All So all the things that Matt and I just said that we wish this did, we're working on that right now. Um, no, we uh, actually, the, the, the last um, vestige of my graduate work um, there's, there's one more um, chapter for my dissertation that I've not, I've not gone back to in a long time, um, seven or eight years. And I want to, I want to go back to that. It's um, it's a study on uh, drinking and some of the, the works set in the South by Cormac McCarthy, um, uh, specifically uh, the relationship between um, <clears throat> social class and alcoholism in, um, in in one of his novels called Century. So that, that's that's what I have cooking, at least as I sit here right now, um, thinking what I, what I really want to get to this summer. Um but but part of it too is is as Matt kind of alluded to just sort of this uh this exhale now that the book now that the book is actually out. Um but no that's a that's a really good question, Carrie. And um maybe ne- maybe when I see you in Arkansas next month for the conference I'll have a have a more a better crafted answer.
0: Sounds good. Matt, what are you up to? Yeah, um so I am uh I've got a couple things going and uh I'm, I'm sort of turning back to uh, some of my, I guess, more literary uh, work, which sounds pretentious. I didn't mean for it to, I just mean like work about literature and and books. Um, so, uh, you know, I have a, a, a kind of a book length project underway on, um, on, uh, you know, I mentioned this at the outset, but, but melancholia um, as a kind of more complex version of more flattening terms like loss and nostalgia um so that project is um it's it's focused on contemporary literature um mostly but it it, it's uh it's interested in um you know what aesthetics have constituted southern literature over time at its at its kind of foundations um in the 20th century and of course those are not its full foundations right but um, its kind of modern foundations and modernist foundations um and into the present. You know, what how has a book performed its southernness and, and what does that mean um for contemporary literature or how is that meaningful or interesting for contemporary literature? So um that project is is underway um with some writers that I think people would know, um, you know, like Colson Whitehead and and others that that may be less known, um, like Cynthia Shearer and and Brad Weiss. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, that project's underway and it's, um, it's going to be a minute though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. Well, as Connor alluded, we're going to be taking this show on the road very soon. Uh, so if any of our listeners are attending the society for the study of Southern literature conference in April, they can find us at noon on Saturday for the round table beyond moonshiners, outlaws, and teetotalers drinking in the U S South. Um, so I will be helping to moderate and we'll have, uh, Connor and Matt and a bunch of the contributors as well. Uh, so today we've been talking to Connor Picken and Matthew Dishinger, co-editors of the brand new collection, Southern Comforts Drinking in the U.S. South from LSU Press. Thank you both so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And I look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Yep. Likewise.